Today on Blue 58, the Packers' running backs and defensive linemen both had pretty good seasons overall in their own way in 2021, but the similarities largely end there, and one of those two groups is going to look very different in 2022. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. We're heading towards the NFL Combine, which means NFL draft stuff is starting to ramp up, and we're going to start sprinkling in a little bit of that before we get to uh, our draft coverage in earnest uh, towards the end of March, early April. In the meantime, we continue our position-by-position review of the 2021 Green Bay Packers. And this week's episode, or today's episode rather, is going to focus on the running backs and the defensive line. On the running back side of that equation, I feel pretty happy with how the Packers' backs turned out to be in 2021. It's kind of a unique position group. There was not a lot of turnover there, despite some injuries. There was not a lot of different bodies, really, uh, we could group fullbacks in here, but that's really not how the Packers do it. So Josiah DeGuara is going to hang out with the tight ends, as we've already spoken about. It was a pretty solid group. It was a really, really good group overall. It was a very top-heavy group, but I don't think you can be all that you know, concerned with how they performed. It was about what you would expect from a position group where the Packers have invested about as heavily as, as any on the team. They were blessed with fairly good health overall. Overall, I should say there's at least one notable exception there. And they got pretty expected performances from everybody in the group. So starting as we always do with the player who played the fewest snaps, we open our running back discussion with Kylan Hill, the 2021 seventh round pick, who looked to be a big part of the Packers offense, growing part of the Packers offense, maybe I should say, And a remarkably competent kick returner until his season all came crashing down. He played 26 snaps on offense and 76 on special teams in 2021. He carried 10 times for 24 yards, had one catch for five yards, and returned 10 kickoffs for 199 yards, a long of 41 on the season. In terms of the good stuff, it was basically all good for Hill. He looked like a nice complimentary piece. He was more the speed willowy-type back, uh, more in the Aaron Jones mold than the A.J. Dillon mold, obviously. Looked like a nice complimentary back. He could do a lot of the things that Jones did. Uh, could catch passes, run out of the backfield, run out of shotgun, and the kick return stuff obviously added some value there. And I wonder down the stretch if he would have gotten a look at punt returns instead of just kickoffs. It was not something he had a lot of experience with, but given how that sort of stuff shook out for the Packers this season, you wonder if he might have just gotten a shot. But unfortunately, when you look to the bad category for Hill, a knee injury against the Arizona Cardinals ruined everything. A torn ACL put the kibosh on his season and ended up being costly in more ways than one for the Packers because that same game cost them Robert Tunyon for the season as well. That leaves us with the bottom line of basically what could have been for Kylan Hill. What would he have ended up being on offense? We'll never really know. How would Amari Rogers' season have played out had the Packers had another consistent return option? Because you'll remember, down the stretch and into the playoffs, Amari Rogers was getting more looks as a kickoff returner too. How would that have been different if the Packers had had Kylan Hill around? Because if Kylan Hill could have done the jet motion stuff, the kick return stuff, 
suddenly you're just having Amari Rodgers on the roster to do punt returns. And if Hill could add a little value there, maybe Rodgers finds his way to injured reserve with a mysterious injury that's never really substantiated. It wouldn't be the first time that happened. As to 2022, a lot hangs on Hill's knee rehab. He could go any number of ways this season. He could be the Packers' number three running back, or he could start the season on the physically unable to perform list and end up staying there even, or he could just stay on injured reserve the entire season, and that's it for him. Or some combination of those last two, physically unable to perform, injured reserve, and waived with an injury settlement. And just being ends up being another kind of what if for the Packers at running back. We've seen a little bit of stuff from uh, Alex Green this offseason already, talking about his time in Green Bay and how things worked out for him. Yeah, that does happen from time to time. And maybe Kylan Hill ends up there too. Given how different things are, injury rehab now versus even 10 years ago when when Alex Green tore his ACL, I'm I don't really have any other expectation for Hill other than that he'll be back, but you never know. Patrick Taylor, the next guy up, he collected 63 snaps on offense for the Packers and 45 on special teams, ended up carrying a surprising 23 times for 89 yards and a score, two catches for three yards for the big back out of Memphis. He had some tough duty this year, and he did pretty well running almost exclusively in situations where the other team knew that the run was coming. And that is something I wouldn't wish on anybody because that just is going to lead to some sore joints the next morning, among other things. But he did it, did it well. And it also should be noted that he made it all the way back to the roster to the 53, despite being an undrafted free agent, despite missing most of his rookie season on on the physically unable to perform list because of an injury uh, in college, and despite not making the 53 out of training camp. That is a, a, an accomplishment that cannot be denied, I, I feel. And that means his season was basically a pure success, I think, from his perspective. They can't really point out any bad stuff for Taylor. Sure, he's not the running back that Aaron Jones is. Few people are. No complaints, though. The Packers don't really give their, or didn't at least in 2021, they don't give their, or didn't give their A.J. Dillon or non-A.J. Dillon or Aaron Jones running backs much to do. This was not the Mike McCarthy mega timeshare like we saw in 2018. This was A.J. Dillon, Aaron Jones, and nobody else. And so it would have been hard for Patrick Taylor if he was on the roster the entire season or even Kylan Hill to get really into the rotation this year. As a result, I think you have to have pretty low expectations. And I don't I can't really come to any conclusion other than saying that the expectations for for Taylor and for Hill were, were basically met. Twenty twenty two, kind of the inverse of what we saw with Kylan Hill, though, there's real opportunity here for Patrick Taylor. The Packers are likely to add a body at running back as an undrafted free agent just because they don't know where where Hill's status is going to be. And because you need a certain amount of running backs just to practice. But you like in twenty twenty one, you can see the path for Patrick Taylor. Will he end up on the 53? I think the odds are probably against him, but he's got as good a shot as anybody. They're going to to bring in other guys. They're probably going to be bringing guys who are a little bit more dynamic than Taylor, but he's got some great physical tools too. He's no slouch athletically, and he's big, tall, running back, with a couple years in the system. 
he doesn't have a a zero percent chance of being on the fifty three to start the season. We'll see. Next up is AJ Dillon, four hundred seventy six snaps on offense for the big man, eighty nine on special teams. Ended the season with one hundred eighty seven carries for eight hundred three yards and five touchdowns. Takes the Packers rushing lead by four yards over Aaron Jones. Thirty four catches for Dillon, two three hundred thirteen yards and two scores. The good for Dylan is, I think, pretty simple. He was who we was supposed to be. The Packers took him in the second round in 2020 because he was a big, strong, athletic prospect out of Boston College. And in 2021, he looked like a big, strong, athletic NFL running back and can do just about anything you ask of an NFL back. He ran with power. He showed athleticism. He caught the ball well. And he showed some pretty good speed when he had it in his hands. Not a lot to complain about there. If you do want to complain, though, and I don't necessarily want to complain, but, you know, just given my somewhat cynical personality, I'm somewhat given to complaining a little bit, too. If you do want to complain about stuff, you can note that Dylan did fumble two times in 17 games despite relatively limited action. He was not a full-time, you know, bell cow back. He also had just nine explosive plays. Not a ton in the run game, a few in the passing game, sure. But he was not a terribly explosive player for the Packers. For comparison, Mercedes Lewis had five explosive plays in 2021. I don't think you want to be selling your second-round running back as slightly more explosive than Mercedes Lewis. But still, overall, a really solid second season out of A.J. Dillon. And I don't think there's really much more you want out of him. Just a question of how many snaps he's going to have and how many carries he's going to get. As to 2022, I think it's going to depend, his season is going to depend on what the Packers want to do with Aaron Jones. I would expect their timeshare to be largely the same for reasons we'll touch on when we talk about Aaron Jones here in a second. But by and large, I think the the running back rotation is basically set. Speaking of Jones, he played 578 snaps on offense in 2021 and just four on special teams. His stats, very good again, 171 carries, 799 yards, four touchdowns. 52 catches for Jones, though, 391 yards and six touchdowns. Good news for Jones is that he's still versatile and valuable, and you can see why he ended up having more snaps than A.J. Dillon, despite playing in fewer games. Came down to the passing game. Aaron Jones, for all of Dillon's upside in the passing game, Jones is a better option there. He can play more true wide receiver type stuff, and Dillon just can't match that. Unfortunately, Jones is still a bit on the fragile side, apparently, which is understandable given his size and the position he plays. But he got dinged up again this year. And it's worth pointing out that he has played a full season exactly one time in his career to date. When he's on the field, he's really good. He's just not on the field all the time. The bottom line, though, is he had a good 2021. Now, it gets a little bit thorny, though, when you ask whether he was worth the money when it comes to his extension. This is probably what the Packers were looking for from him. Is that worth the money alone? Because he's paid quite handsomely for a running back, a position that we know is devalued as much as any across the league. From a pure you know, analytics and economics perspective, The answer, I think, is a pretty firm no. Given the cash flow towards Jones so far since he signed that extension, I think you'd say, just from a 
production standpoint, he's probably not worth it. But there's a significant but there. The Jones deal is about more than just his on-field production. And I think it would behoove a lot of us in the broader media. I still never know what to say. Am I in the media or not? I guess. But if Blue 58 is quote-unquote the media, then anybody can be in the media because you could start a podcast right now. That aside, um, I think it would behoove us as people who cover the Packers, and maybe just, let's put it this way, people who think about the Packers, because I think that would include you listening to this podcast, someone who's thinking seriously about the Packers. I think it would be good for us to look at contracts as one part paying for value, but at least one other part of culture building. And that may not be the right term. But the Packers made a, a culture move when they signed Aaron Jones. Jones is, by all accounts, a man of impeccable character. He is well thought of by everybody in the Packers organization. He's a family man. He's a hard worker. He's just about as wholesome a dude as you could ask for. And you're sending a message when you re-sign a guy like that. You say, this is the sort of person we want to have around. This is the sort of effort that we want to reward. This is the sort of input that we want to have around as a person. Because no matter what you say about his production, no matter what you say about running backs mattering or not mattering, Aaron Jones, the person, does matter to the Packers a lot. He's getting to be, just because of how the NFL works, one of the quote-unquote elder statement statesmen in that locker room. And even though he's a pretty short guy, people are going to look up to him. That's a value that you have a hard time putting a dollar figure on. But it's also a good kind of guy to have around. And I don't know if you can really take all of that out of the equation. And I don't think you should try to. Contracts are about more than just on-field production. That is not, and it bugs the nerds out there, you know, myself included to an extent, it bugs the analytics community because there's no value you're going to put on an intangible. But sometimes you resign a guy because you like having him around. That is not an optimum way of doing business, but it is the way that business is done. And there's got to be some kind of value in that too. Something matters there. You're never going to put a number on it. You're never going to put a data point on it. You're never going to say Aaron Jones is worth this many character units if such a thing could ever exist. But you can't deny that there is some kind of value there. Unfortunately, character value is not something there's a salary cap for. Fortunately, I guess I should say. Fortunately, you can't put a salary cap on character. You can, however, put a salary cap on actual salaries. And when the Packers restructured his deal to make uh, things more palatable this offseason, they all but assured that 2022 is going to be it for Aaron Jones. Because it gets real complicated in the spring of 2023. That, however, is a problem for a different day. For right now, he's part of the Packers, and he's going to be part of the Packers' immediate future. And I'm excited to watch him run around on a football field because he's fun to watch. And we shouldn't forget that either. 
want to take a brief pause here to remind you that there is new merchandise available from the Power Sweep. Check the link in your show notes. We have migrated our team store to TeePublic. We've got a lot of different options there. We've got t-shirts, we've got sweatshirts, hoodies, long sleeve t-shirts, baseball styles t-shirts, phone cases, notebooks, stickers, and some other stuff I'm assuming I'm, I'm forgetting, but there's a lot of good stuff there and it's all on sale right now. So you can get t-shirts, I think for like 13 bucks, which is a pretty darn good deal. And there's going to be more designs going up here in the relatively near future. So keep an eye out on that. Click the link in your show notes and find yourself uh, some merch from the Power Sweep and Blue 58. It's good stuff. Getting stuff for myself here pretty soon. Should be here in the mail before too long. On the defensive side... Our position-by-position review turns to the defensive line, starting with Jack Heflin, who played a whopping 17 snaps on defense in 2021 and an additional whopping 13 on special teams. Played in four games, had one assist. Tackle. The good news for him is that he made it to the roster for four games. The bad news is that he made it to the 53-man roster for only four games. The bottom line for Heflin is that uh, I think we're seeing a difference here between internal and external evaluation. A lot of people, me included, thought he would play more in 2021. The Packers, though, disagreed and played guys like Abdul Anderson more. I'm not discouraged because defensive line development can take some time. And as you look ahead to 2022, there's a pretty good chance that the Packers are going to need more big bodies around again. Heflin is one of those. And there's a pretty significant chance he's going to be significantly better than he was in 2021. Because don't forget, he was making a pretty big jump in competition levels this past season. Now that he's had a year to get his feet wet, I think we're going to see better things out of Jack Heflin. Abdullah Anderson is the guy he lost out on playing time to. He played 49 snaps on defense and 12 on special teams across three games in 2021, racking up two tackles and an assist for his trouble. Good news for him, he got three games on the on the 53. Big guy, a lot of physical tools there. The bad news is nothing really stood out, and that kind of ends up being his bottom line, too, for this past season. Nothing really stood out about Mr. Anderson. But like Heflin, looking ahead to 2022, the Packers and just teams across the NFL in general are always going to need big guys, and Anderson is one of those. So while the Packers look for more big guys who can fill out their defensive line group, he's going to get some short-term benefit of the doubt. He and Heflin are still going to probably be behind TJ Slayton, though. The fifth-round pick in 2021 racked up 255 snaps on defense in 21 and another 143 on special teams. He played in all 17 games. He accumulated 23 total tackles, 14 solo, 9 assists, and 1 sack. Big-body guy, Often held the point of attack fairly stoutly, but as is the case with many young defensive linemen, I think there was a bit of a learning curve here too. Take some seasoning. And he did get washed out in some running plays some of the time. He's also fairly limited as a pass rusher right now, and he may always be, but you would hope that the Packers can get a little bit more out of him in that arena in the future. Bottom line, though, is he was a rookie defensive lineman. Some seasoning was to be expected. I think we can expect a significant step forward in 2022 because he's assuredly going to be around for the Packers. Now to the big four defensive linemen, there were four guys who played a bunch of snaps on the line for the Packers, starting with Tyler Lancaster, who played 319 snaps on defense for the Packers, accumulating 145 on special teams as well. Special teams, a bit of an adventure for him this season to say the least. 
Lancaster finished 2021 with 15 solo tackles and 16 assists for a total of 31. He was another big body on the defensive line for the Packers. The bad news, though, is that he was just another big body. You'd have thought he would have done something with the amount of playing time he had, shown a little bit more juice in the pass rush, shown something, but no. He also cost the Packers at least two blocked field goals this year, including one in the playoffs. Why was he out there to begin with? I don't know. Bottom line for Lancaster, I think I've got to, you know, have a bit of a, a moment to look in the mirror here because I was probably higher on Lancaster than most coming into 2021, but I can't sell his season. Just a big old nothing most of the time. Not even an accidental sack, not even accidental half sack. Oren Burke's got half of one of those, for crying out loud. Tyler Lancaster can't get that in 319 snaps. Nope. Guess not. Packers, though, remain short on big bodies. I'd be fine if the Packers moved on from Lancaster in 2022. But they're so short on big dudes that you got to figure he's going to get another look. It's just the way it works out sometimes. Kingsley Kiki played 393 snaps on defense for the Packers this past season, 51 on special teams. Finished the season having played in 12 games, and it would have been more. Oh boy, it would have. But we'll get to that in a second. 23 tackles, 10 solo, 13 assists, two and a half sacks for Mr. Kiki. At his best, I think he kind of looked like uh, Mike Daniels light, bit of a smaller defensive lineman, but uh, plenty of heart, plenty of push as a pass rusher. Speed was pretty evident. But the ending was weird in Green Bay. Now, he had a concussion near the middle of the season that wiped him out for a while. But then he was a healthy scratch after the Baltimore game, and everybody thought he was that was weird. Then he went on the COVID-19 reserve list. That was even weirder. Then when he came back healthy, he was inactive for the rest of the year, then cut on January 19. So what happened? Aaron Wilson, reporter out of Houston on Twitter, where um, Kiki ultimately ended up for a bit, reported that uh, Kiki was released, quote, following a disagreement with coaching staff about his practice role, coming off a concussion and COVID in recent weeks, end quote. We're never really going to know the full story. Brian Goodkins sure isn't going to tell us, and unless somebody does some source reporting on what happened to a rotational defensive lineman, I doubt we're ever really going to know. So I think just got to take Wilson on face value there. There was a an issue with the coaching staff on Kiki's part. Can't imagine the coaches were too uh, disillusioned about what he what his role should be. So it's probably on, on Kiki's end there. But still, he ends up out of Green Bay in a, a strange ending for a guy who looked as promising as any uh, through his first couple seasons in Green Bay. As to 2022, I don't know, but it's not going to be in Green Bay. Dean Lowry played 674 snaps on defense for the Packers in 2021 and might have had his best season. 17 games played, five sacks, career high, had six total from 2018 through 2020. Nine quarterback hits, also a career high, and five tackles for a loss, tying a career high. Again, probably the best season of his career. He played a little bit more inside this season than in the past, and he's a good athlete for interior rusher type stuff, and I think you saw that at times this year. The bad stuff is the same as it's always been for Lowry. He's never been a great run defender and still wasn't this year. You could see that on display against the 49ers in the playoffs. That was, it's just what you're going to get with Dean Lowry. And it's why the Packers need help on the defensive line. It's why it was a bummer that TJ Slayton couldn't be a little bit further along than he was. The bottom line for Lowry's season is this was probably as good as it gets for him. 
Let's see him do it twice in a row in 2022. Finally, Kenny Clark rounds out the season, the defensive line discussion, with 782 snaps on the year. He ended up playing three snaps, as it, as it so happens, on special teams. Bet you're wondering how that happened. I can tell you. He was out there twice on punt returns and uh, was on the field goal or extra point block team one time. He had four sacks in 2021, six tackles for loss, 13 quarterback hits, which was a career high. I don't know if it really was his best season overall. I think it's a matter of opinion probably, but this felt to me like the best season of his career. And I think a lot of that was he played a lot less pure nose and a lot less inside in general. The Packers let him move outside a little bit more, like a five technique or maybe an inside five um, this season. It was It was good. And I think that's something we talked about pretty early on with uh, Joe Barry's defense. He said he wanted to run a single gap sort of scheme, penetrating pass rush type stuff. Not a lot of two gapping from the defensive lineman, which takes up a lot of your time if you are a nose tackle type like Kenny Clark is. But the Packers figured he could be more impactful as a pass rusher and turned him loose and seems to have worked. The bad stuff is not so much bad for him, but as much a question. He played 78% of the Packers' defensive snaps in 2021. That's up from 71% in 2020, though he played just 13 games that year. He played 84% in 2019. He played 83% in 2018. My question is, how long can he keep this up? Are we going to see Kenny Clark start to just wear down? His playing time has trended downward the last couple seasons, but it's largely because he's been missing some games. How long can he keep something like that up? I think it's a fair question, and there's no easy answer. We're just going to have to wait and see. Bottom line, though, is he was a pro bowler in 2021, and he very richly deserved it. And I don't think there's any reason to expect anything but the same in 2022. That's all I've got for you in this episode. I appreciate you listening in. I appreciate your continued support of Blue 58 through this offseason. I know offseasons are long and a lot of waiting, and I, I know that it's it's just different. And I appreciate you sticking around and, and tuning in with me a couple times a week. Uh, it means a lot, and I, I just appreciate your continued support for the podcast. If you enjoyed this show, it would mean a lot to me if you would share it with someone you think would enjoy it too. That's the number one way that we grow, and it's one of the best ways you can help out the Power Sweep as well. You can also help us by uh, leaving a review, if that's something you like to do, or by supporting us at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. That is uh, one of the best ways as well to support us financially. And there's a lot of stuff that you get out of that as well. So check that out. Uh, Join us there and uh, we'll see what we can do for you on our end. Whatever you do, thank you for your support. Every little bit of support you give us helps us continue this conversation around the Green Bay Packers, which in turn, I think, helps all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.